Marie and welcome to First Up. It is Ramari Friday, the 16th of December, Kor Anna Thomas. Coming up, we touch down in the USA with Bevan Hurdy and Nabil Ahmed in Africa. And it's Fruits of the Year time with our Minister of Fruit and Veggies. Former soldier Tenby Powell joins us to discuss his efforts to galvanise support for the Ukraine. We bring you a guide to what's happening in Christchurch this summer. And New Zealand's Poet Laureate Chris Tees joins us to see out 2022. And we've got some hot tips on the best things to bring to a barbecue this summer from Auckland's finest. Saucies, always saucies. Can't go wrong with that. Wine. <laughs> Always wine. Pavlova. Salad, because I've got lots of lettuces in the garden. And welcome to First Up, the final of 2022. Now, I am Anna Thomas, and it is great to be with you this morning. We begin this morning in the United States, and our correspondent in New York is Bevan Hurry. Morena, Bevan. Morena, Anna. Hey, thanks for joining us this morning on our last show. Um, now we're going to get straight into it. Alleged crypto fraudster Sam Bankman Freed's arrest has, has been one of the biggest stories of the week. What What is the latest? Yeah, so the uh, 30-year-old crypto baron was arrested in the Bahamas on Monday and has been charged with a host of financial crimes in the US. Um, prosecutors allege that Bankman Freed defrauded investors and customers of up to $1.8 billion in funds that were invested in the bankrupt crypto trading firm FTX. And according to the charges, Bankman Freed spent lavishly on office space and condominiums in the Bahamas and sank billions of dollars of customer funds into speculative venture investments. Um, more than 2 million customers have been caught up in the collapse of FTX and prosecutors are calling it one of the largest frauds in US history. Um, SBF, as he's widely known, was also one of the largest political donors in the last election cycle, giving more than $40 million to both Democrats and Republicans. And he's also facing campaign finance violation and money laundering charges that could see him sentenced to more than 100 years in prison if convicted. Um, so Anna, he was um, denied bail at a court appearance in the Bahamas on Tuesday, mm. and he's going to remain in custody until his next extradition hearing in February. So he's got a long wait before he has to face those charges, but he is uh, looking at a serious jail time. Uh, how the mighty fall, hey? I was I was listening to a, yeah. um, an interview with him, and uh, he was saying he really hoped to, you know, he could move past this and, and start to, uh, and he hoped he hoped it wasn't the end of the cryptocurrency thing. <laughs> and he did have every intention of paying people back if he was able to, you know, operate again. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, there, now there's been a fire at an NYPD storage unit. Now, why is this making the news? So um, this huge fire destroyed this evidence warehouse in Red Hook, Brooklyn on Tuesday. And it was where um, thousands of pieces of evidence collected over decades that were critical to outstanding criminal trials and appeals were stored. Mm. And uh, the evidence lost in the fire includes, um, you know, DNA evidence linked to cold case murders, shootings and robberies, paper trial transcripts, um, forensic fibres, all sorts of things. And this is going to prove catastrophic for people who were relying on it for their appeal verdicts, as well as for inmates making exoneration claims. And a civil rights lawyer, Ron Kuby, told the New York Times that the fire may have destroyed the hopes and dreams of uncounted innocent people. So it's really a huge deal, and questions are being raised why the warehouse wasn't better protected. Mm. Um, but we don't know the cause of the fire, so that will be intriguing to find out. Yeah, I wonder if it was arson. I wonder if people found out. Yeah. That, so that's where the evidence was being kept. Mm. And uh, President Biden is looking looking to send defensive Patriot missiles to Ukraine, but uh, this has prompted a bit of a warning from Russia. 
Yeah, that's right. These um, Patriot missile defense systems would be the most advanced weapons technology sent to the Ukraine yet. Um, and it's something that um, Volodymyr Zelensky has been calling on for some time as his country just continues to get pummeled um, by you know Russian cruise missiles and um, drone attacks, um, taking out much of their key infrastructure. Um, but the uh, we, it seems like we're quite close to getting a, a confirmation of, of those Patriot missiles being sent. And this has um, prompted a, a rather provocative statement from the Russian embassy in Washington. They've said that this could lead to unpredictable consequences should it go ahead. Um, we've seen a lot of uh, nuclear saber rattling from the Russians, Anna, and none of it has come to anything yet, but you just never know with those guys. So, um, yeah, that will be an intriguing one to watch. It certainly will. And Bevan, what have you got planned for Christmas? Um, so I've got next week off and I'm um, going to be going to Atlantic City in New Jersey for a bit of R&R and then back here for um, for a bit of a festive uh, Christmas around New York. So very much oh. looking forward to it. And oh, um, all the best wishes to everyone, you and the whole team. It's been a wonderful year. Hey, thanks, Bevan. And thanks for all of your work over the past year as well. You have a great one, won't you? Excellent. Bevan Hurley there from New York. It is 10 past five and you're listening to First Up on RNZ National with me, Anna Thomas. Now, we're keen for your feedback, 2101. Uh, you can text us. Um, maybe, are you, are you prepared for Christmas and the summer holidays? We're only a week out. Or are you a last-minute organiser? Um, text us, 2101, or tweet us at firstuprnz or email firstup at rnz.co.nz. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at First Up RNZ. To Africa now, where hearts broke across the continent as the Moroccan team was bundled out of the World Cup. And with me now from Ghana is Nabil Ahmed. Good morning, Nabil. Hello, Anna. <laughs> um, wow, what a disappointment for Morocco, hey? Indeed, uh, quite a huge disappointment. But the only consolation is that Morocco has become the first African country to indeed make it to the semifinals of the World Cup, which is quite exciting. Uh, but a lot of hearts were broken uh, because of the game uh, that really ended it for Morocco. And it's quite sad that um, that's the end of the road for the team. But then um, it raises a lot of hopes up that indeed, once an African country has been able to make it to the semi-finals, then the others would also try to pursue that during the next World Cup. But we can only wish all the African teams that participated this year the very best and the best of luck next uh, next uh, World Cup uh, season. Mm, it's provided a lot of inspiration for a lot of uh, African and Arab nations as well. In Liberia, um, the, the main prison in the capital, Monrovia, has been turning away new inmates. Why is that? Well, we are learning that um, it's due to overcrowding and also fears of disease outbreak in that particular prison, according to the Justice Ministry and prison officials. Now, the government says that those being denied admission in the prisons uh, were inmates accused of minor offences. Now, there were media reports uh, that prison guards uh, were refusing to admit new inmates as part of an ongoing strike and over salary delays. But prison officials have actually denied this claim. Now, this particular prison we are talking about was built uh, some years ago, and it was supposed to accommodate about 300 inmates, 
uh, when the uh, 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 Moravia's population was around 300,000. But now it holds about 1,600 inmates. So wow. just imagine that <laughs> from mm. 300 to 1,600. So that's what's really causing the whole problem in the, this particular prison, Anna. Oh, gosh. Uh, now, there have been deadly floods in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, what is the situation there? A lot of bodies have been found, haven't there? Indeed, uh, rescue operations has been ongoing, and we know that uh, 11 more bodies were found um, in the rubble, I mean, in the floods, uh, that's after uh, a night, Tuesday's night, uh, I mean, flood in the capital of the DRC. Now, we understand that the bodies were found in the northern uh, Mount Ngafula district of the city, uh, where many houses are built on hillside areas. And that actually caused the landslides that has really devastated uh, that part of the country. Now, this particular flood is termed as the worst in years witnessed in the city of DRC. And nearly 30,000 households have been affected. And we are also learning that 208. 80 homes were swept away by the landslide. So it's quite a very huge devastation that has been caused by the floods in the capital. And a lot of people are counting their losses at the moment. Mm. And Nigeria has released some new banknotes into circulation. What, what's forced the redesign, Abil? Well, authorities are saying that the introduction of these new banknotes is to address insecurity and also tackle counterfeiting. Um, in the system and this particular notes that have been introduced uh, is actually some new currency in the first such of re- redesign uh, in about 20 years and uh, the government has urged people to, to submit their old uh, uh, notes uh, in replacement for the new one but there are some kind of speculations in Nigeria as to why the government is doing this at this particular time we know that Nigeria is set to hold a elections in February and people are saying that this policy of introducing new notes is likely to hit politicians who might be planning to use cash to bribe uh, Nigerian voters to vote for them uh, which is a very, a very common practice in the country during elections it's actually a strategy so they are saying that there's some kind of corruption that's going to go on with this introduction of this new bank notes Anna uh, Nabil Ahmed, thank you so much for the year, for all of your work uh, this year, and we wish you all the very best, and we'll catch up with you in 2023. Now, this week, we've been bringing you some of the many events taking place over summer, and this morning, we're in the Garden City. Christchurch and Canterbury are bursting at the seams with events. I asked Lucy Blackmore, Manager of Events and Arts at the Christchurch City Council, to tell us more. It's a really busy summer, so we're all super excited to actually just get into it and have a really, really good time. One of the cool things over summer holidays are manu competitions that the city council are leading. So that's over summer at the various swimming pools, and people can win prizes and head to the different ones from now until the 12th of February. And for and those uninitiated, a manu is the uh, where you jump into the water and try and create the biggest splash, yeah? That's right. Yeah, it's become the norm for us saying that actually. <laughs> yeah, I know. Offices, but you're right. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and um, we've also got the CCC pool parties as well. So that's Ooh. now until the end of January, which is also a great time with ice creams, music, just lots of fun in the sun. And then heading over summer for big city activity, we are running the New Year's Eve 2022 a celebration at Hagley Park. So there's going to be a range of family-friendly entertainment and there'll also be a lot of big stuff later on in the night, like Australian Act Dragon, which has been confirmed to headline. And we've got local bands such as One Drop Nation. So there's a bit for oh, everyone. Great. There'll even be a kids' yeah. down at eight. Yeah. Oh, at eight o'clock for the kids. I <laughs> yeah. love that. I love that. It's some really good music. You've got dragon there that's fantastic yeah we're super stoked with that one yeah absolutely <laughs> and Hagley Park what a great uh, great location for that too yeah. um, and what about your arts festival and your arts centre because that is you know one of my most favourite places to visit in the city yeah. uh, we're really excited to be able to get back into that space so this is a new event off centre so the arts centre is going to be bursting with music comedy theatre food market it's just going to be back to its vibrant self and that's on the 3rd to the 5th of March so there's going to be a bunch of different activity happening across that time which people can have a look through the what's on page which the city council run we've got good descriptions of all the different activities that are happening but yeah it's going to be beautiful to get back into that there's going to be over 50 events and 250 artists so it's a real mixture of everything yeah and just um a little bit closer you've got the the christchurch christmas show parade coming up we do, yes, this Sunday. Oh. It's coming back. Yeah, and there's going to be a restoration of a bunch of different floats. It's a free event at the AMP showgrounds. Yeah, there's a lot of nostalgia there for a lot of people who are heading down there and seeing seeing everything that will be on offer. So that's, um, yeah, that one's this Sunday. Oh, that's so exciting. I remember going back because I, I grew up in Ashburton and uh, going up to Christchurch for the Christmas parade was always such a treat. Uh, and you've oh. also got Carols by Candlelight. Whereabouts is that happening? Yes, yeah, so that one's at Victoria Square on the 24th of December so yeah it's a really special one to get you right into the mood just before Christmas morning. And speaking of music you've got quite a few paying acts coming up don't you? Yes, we do. There's there's a bunch of different ticketed ones as well. So starting this Saturday, we've got Ototahi Smoke Barbecue Festival. So barbecue, music, just a bit of everything that you can enjoy. And that one's at Hagley Park in the Entertainment Triangle. What else have we got on? We've got the Hidden Lakes Music Festival, which is on the 28th of December. And that one um, starts at midday, but runs till about 10 o'clock at night at Hagley Park as well. And there's a whole lot of other activity that will be happening right through right through summer actually your favorites electric avenue which will be on the 25th of february great kiwi beer festival on the 28th of january black clash on the 20th of january yeah it's super busy oh yeah absolutely you've got some um, wonderful things to do yeah. fantastic to hear what's going on in ototahi christchurch lucy blackmore thanks so much for joining us have a merry christmas awesome thank you very much you too you enjoy thank you and you can check out all the events on the christchurch city council's website And there's Lucy Blackmore from the Christchurch City Council. It is 20 minutes past five. I'm Anna Thomas and you're with First Up on RNZ National. Coming up, we're delighted to be joined before six by New Zealand's Poet Laureate Chris Tees for his reflections on what's been a pretty tough year for many. We speak with former soldier Tenby Powell about his efforts to get support for Ukraine and the one and only Minister for Fruit and Veggies, the Right Honourable Glenn Forsyth, brings us his Fruit of the Week. I've got a lovely bunch of kelp and I... 
there they are standing in the air. Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head. And that intro music can only be one thing. It's time to speak to our Minister of Fruit and Veggies, Glenn Forsyth. Morena, Glenn. Morena, how are you? Oh, look, I'm really good. It's Friday and, you know, the end of the week and the end of the year, really, pretty much for some of us. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Last show of the year, yeah. Hey, what are the most popular vegetables for Christmas week? Oh, look, we've arrived at that time of year again, the busiest in our produce industry, Christmas week. Now, the week where everybody wishes the plants can produce a month's supply in seven days. <laughs> yeah. But what's on, your, yeah, what's on your mind to buy, Anna, a few days from the big day? Oh, well, I always do enjoy the stone fruit. Um, you know, love my asparagus and veggies like that, but the stone fruit. And, but I was, have to admit, pretty disappointed. Got some yesterday, some nectarines, and they were that tasteless. You know, the really tasteless nectarines. How, is there a way you can actually tell, Glenn, whether they're going to taste good? Before you buy them? Well, the pro- the problem is we're a bit early, unfortunately, the mm. season. So it will come in, and yeah, it's 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 on the way. Now, we check in with all our mates for the scoop. I mean, Grunter from Countdown, Romeo from Foodstuffs, dozens more, and we have pet names for all our friends. But veggies <laughs> first, and and, uh, and on the front of everybody's mind are baby potatoes. Oh, These yeah. are king, and people, yeah, people trade up to a higher value Huawei for Christmas. Now, whatever your preference Juicy Benny, Golden Gourmet, Little Diggers or Perlers, and would suggest to secure earlier in the week, but they are all available. Also popular are new season sweet corn and New Zealand round beans, but a reminder, new season crops are behind the summer and current poor weather still hampering harvests, so prices are firm pre-Christmas. And on the other side of the coin, end of season crops and completing the popular Christmas group of five veggies are fresh peas and asparagus. Mm. Now, demand rules over supply on that couple. New season New Zealand garlic has just begun. Coomer is not $10 a kilo this Christmas, which is good news. And most of your salad lines are okay. Probably just tomatoes there, the salad line and the shortest supply. Okay. Okay, so let's talk about the most popular fruits um, for Christmas week. What are they? Yeah, some Christmassy fruit on the shelves this next week to look out for are mangoes, pomegranates, nectarines, New Zealand mandarins, and some Peruvian grapes to carry us through into the new year. New Zealand green kiwi fruit for the PAV in short supply, with Italian ones to the rescue post-Christmas. Fresh season USA navels, lemons, and limes. Now, they're here in time, but they're selling to a keen demand. But now, what are the big hitters for fruit Christmas week, though? Cherries, number one. Then yeah. berries and melons. Yeah. Now, these these hot, humid and damp Auckland nights, though, are now killing the strawberries and raspberries. So check their bottoms and buy close to Christmas Day. I mean, of course, demand lifts the prices of these two berries as each day gets closer. Unfortunately, though, that is the trade-off. Uh, newer season blueberries, however, they tend to be a little more tame. Now, just as this uh, late season start has affected some of our veggie crops, it has meant the same for our watermelon and rock melon. But a handful from the far north have started this week in Auckland, but hardly enough to go around. New Zealand melons, are, you know, they're a mid to late summer crop. So you could do what the cruise ships do, grab some fresh pineapples instead. And there are plenty of those available next week. Ah, brilliant. Now, just before we get to our fruit of the week, uh, uh, we've got a few highlights from this year. What happens is all around the world, because we're on podcast now, Glenn, all around the world, people gather the kids around because they want to know, what is your fruit of the week? It's uh, New Zealand lemons. <laughs> Woo! Apples, my man. Green kiwi fruit. It's a cracker. It's kiwi fruit. Prices start to lift through winter. Now, fruit of the week is... No, hang on, wait, wait, wait. Glenn, Glenn. Hi, Glenn. What's your fruit of the week? <laughs> it's pears. <Yeah. laughs> Woo! 
It's grapefruit. It's persimmons. Glenn, what is your fruit of the week? <laughs> That's right, fruit of the week. Now, this could be classed as brave or rash or both, and all complaints to Jeremy, please, but we are going to go with Australian navel oranges. Ta-da! New Zealand avocados. Glenn Forsyth and Ted the dog, what is your fruit of the week? <laughs> Lemons. <laughs> it's oranges. Strawberries. Aromatic yellow flesh peaches. Hey, Glenn, we, we're running short of time, so we need to jump straight to... Glenn, no what is your fruit of the week? It's bananas. <laughs> we got the banana song. I've been waiting for this, everybody. Banana. 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 Glenn, I've been waiting two years for you to say banana. And we're finally here. I agree with you. I mean, not only bananas. Uh, Okay, so let me have a go, Glenn. Hi, Glenn. What is your fruit of the week? Here we go. Central Otago cherries. (laughs) Oh, of course it's got to be, doesn't it? That's fantastic. (laughs) It's got to be. That that was gold before. I I love Nathan, and and his idea of fruit of the week a couple of years ago was just fantastic. But the powerhouse of our cherry supply, Central Otago, it's a bold call, but there's uh, there's been no tornadoes down there yet, and harvesting is ramping up this weekend. Prices are firm Christmas week, sadly. Everybody buys cherries. It's like a must for the big box on the yeah, table. Small and medium ones, yeah, they're, they're looking nearly $20 plus a kilo next week, Anna, and your really big-sized cherries, high demand, $30 plus, I would imagine. Again, however, no bad weather events. We'll have lots post-New Year. Now, here's something cool, though, and if you're lucky enough to be visiting Cromwell, Cheeky Cherries in Rippenvale Road, which TripAdvisor rated as number two things to do there, is mm. pick your own cherries. I, yeah, I talked with the owner this week, Martin Milne, and good Scottish lad, for picking your own info there, $17 a kilo for the red ones. He has a whopping 22 varieties, including a handful of the delicate white cherry. Now, the white are $22 a kilo, but oh my gosh, you don't want to know how much good quality white ones can com- command on the export market. Mm. He also has two flavours of of cherry cider there, games and activities for the kids, and does charity work for I Am Hope and donates cherries to the homeless also. So have a Merry Christmas, Anna, and cheery New Year. And the oh, industry would like to thank your incredible team for all the support and time that you give us. Oh, you guys are fantastic. Oh, Glenn, you are fantastic. Thank you for all of your work over the past year, and we wish you all the very best. White cherries, who knew? That's what you're trying to say, you're trying to say, let's get down to business, it's business time. It's business, it's business time. And it is business time and joining us uh, from our business team. Good morning, Giles. How are you doing this morning on Friday? Is it, your la- is it your last day? No, some oh. of us go right to the end, oh, the right bitter end. end. In fact, that's been, I've been accused of that having my biggest failing is going right to the end, never knowing when to stop. <laughs> but we'll leave that one to one side, please. Oh, dear. Oh, well. Well, we, we appreciate you, Giles. We really do. Um, what are you looking at this morning? Oh, well, I said yesterday I... I'd answer any sensible, decent question that came in from a listener. And I just got the one, which was, how come foreign exchange is always sort of blip, blip there? It changes in an instant. Um, And very quickly, 
it's because the world is wired and because banks and investment houses and stockbrokers are always in touch with each other through various electronic markets that they've created. So I can sit here in Wellington and I can say I've got 500,000 Zambian Quacha I want to sell. Is there anybody out there who wants to buy? And you over in your bank in London say, that's just what I need at the moment. Uh, And because we're connected on the same system, you make me an offer. We do a deal. We agree that we agree the price. We do the deal. That's how foreign exchange uh, you know, is is done. That's the simple mechanics of it. Um, I've got a screen on my desk. Uh, it's just blinking lights all the time. When journalists are bored, they come around and have a look because they think it's like Christmas lights. Uh, it's it's so colourful. So yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's it's because everybody's wired. That's how foreign exchange happens. Um, and it's just a marketplace. Whatever you can, whatever price you negotiate is the one that we'll do. So that right. was the one sensible question that sensible. I got. Sensible. <laughs> You've right. got plenty of others. Well, some of the sensible. others, should we say, were a little bit on the bone. But you know, right. I said okay. I'd have a quick look at the economics of Christmas. Now, I don't mean this in a broad, sensible sense. Um, there is one suggestion that Christmas stimulates production and spending, but there's also a good deal of uh, research that suggests that it's actually only replacing activity. It's displacement, in fact. It's activity that would have taken place at other times of the year, but we save it uh, for that you know, mad rush to Christmas. So, uh, in fact, there's no net gain for the economy. Um, now, economists being the really fun people that they are, and why it's called the dismal science, <laughs> one of them says it destroys value, which is the ultimate sin that uh, can happen in the fantasy land that's inhabited by economists. The main concern is that the value of the gifts uh, to recipients, you know, to the people who get them, is much lower than the money that was spent on buying them. And there's one study that suggests that gifts lose about 10 to one, 10% to one-third of their value. Mm. Um, you know, just in that straight act of giving, it's called the dead weight loss of Christmas. Uh, and then it leads to gifts being returned, sold, or you know, passed on. Uh, one suggestion or one survey in Europe showed 15% people were unhappy with the gifts they got. 10% couldn't remember <laughs> what they'd actually got. 25% said they re-gifted their presents, yeah. given them to somebody else. Uh, 10% had sold their items. Uh, another 10% had tried to give them back to the store where they came from. Uh, and <laughs> I fi- think I'm a, I'm a big fan of re-gifting myself, actually, Giles. <laughs> well, yeah, 5% returned the gift to the person who gave it to them. I mean, Ooh, by mistake about- or intentionally? No, I think intentionally. <laughs> right, uh, okay. and, and one of the things was... Um, Older people were more likely to give their gifts, their unwanted gifts, to charity, mm. whereas younger people, uh, the millennials and co, simply threw them away. Oh so, so, no! So look at all the economic and financial waste there is there. Oh, we won't even all... go into the inflation of Christmas. And no, all that, let's that not. No, no. Um, <laughs> Thank you, right, Giles. Right. But, well, yeah. from, from the business team, can we say to all our listeners, a Merry Christmas, a very safe holiday come back next year i can't say that it will be any better necessarily but uh, can i say the most valuable gift you can give this christmas is time to the ones that you love oh i love it giles and and sending you all of our christmas love from the first up team thanks for your work over the year Thanks, mate. Looking at the markets now, our Kiwi dollar is trading at 63.6 US cents, 94.6 Australian cents. 
Uh, 59.66 euro, uh, 51.8 British pence, 4.44 yuan and 87.38 Japanese yen. And Morena Felicity Reid, who joins me from the RNZ Sports Desk. Uh, it's all about Monday in the World Cup, isn't it? Um, is, there, is there any other sport on? <laughs> well, we, just before we jump to Monday, Anna, we do have to actually think about the third place playoff at the Football World Cup. The game that I was told yesterday is probably the least watched game at the tournament. So that's on Sunday, New Zealand time. It's oh, Morocco, it, Croatia. So no, the two teams right. that maybe didn't really want to be in this game, but there's still plenty to play for there with that uh, third place. They've actually already met each other once in this tournament. It was a goalless draw in their opening game of Group F. So they're probably going to need to at least score a goal during normal time or we're going to be sitting through penalties again at this tournament to find out that position. But you say we're probably all waiting for that Monday, yeah. France, Argentina, the final, that a lot of people had in mind. This is the one I think a lot of people were hoping for. Yeah. And it's that Lionel Messi, uh, <laughs> Kylian yeah. Mbappe, right? It's yeah. the, the young gun and the old pro, the one that's won before and the one that hasn't. So uh, this game, going into it, France are obviously defending champions and both teams are actually trying to pick up the World Cup for the third time. So the last time that Argentina actually won was 1986. Wow. Okay. Oh, wow. That's uh, quite a few years ago. Who's your money on, Felicity? Well, it's a bit of a tough question Mm. because there's been so many upsets at this tournament. I think maybe we're all hoping for that fairy tale of Morocco, but now that they're not Mm. necessarily into this final, maybe we'll go for France to see them through, get a second, like go back to back. That'd be the first time since Brazil way back in 1958 and 1962 they went back to back. So it's been a while. Gosh, yeah. Wow. And uh, anything else uh, in the sports scene that's that's happening that we should know about? Well, one thing that's kind of not happening that we need to know about is that the Breakers tonight were supposed to be playing the Perth Wildcats in the Australian National Basketball game. But the Breakers yesterday were supposed to be jumping on the plane. There was supposed to be some activity at headquarters. But the GM and the coach had to face media and say, actually, we don't have enough fit players to play this game. Uh, seven players, they won't name names, so we're mm. assuming that it is these seven players have COVID and uh. there are injuries amongst the squad as well. So you actually need, by NBL rules, to have eight players that are fit to be able to play. That's a disappointment, isn't it? It is, and especially there's been 74 games in the NBL that have been uninterrupted by COVID after they had a couple of seasons of games where, yes, teams did have to postpone or move on for COVID reasons, as the Breakers were based in Australia at that point. But they're based here now, and it's the longest road trip in the sport to get to Perth. So they've said that they'll postpone this game. It's They don't expect to get any sort of penalty points or anything like that for mm. having to step away. But, mm. yeah, it's... A, I guess it kind of shows that COVID is still around and very much in that sure Auckland is. community yeah. if they've got a whole team like that. And I guess the Big Bash as well, if I just quickly use them as an example, that um, cricket domestic T20 cricket in Australia. They've um, a couple of New Zealanders playing in that tournament as well. And, and the Melbourne Stars, which Trent Bolt, and black cap Trent Bolt is part of, that team actually played with two players who do have COVID. They played in the opening game of the tournament on um, earlier this week. But their setup for that is is that they have a home changing room and a way changing room and a third changing room, which if there's any COVID infected players from either side, they both use 
that changing room. Oh, okay. So cricket, mm, basketball, put two very different sports and two very different, uh, I guess, interactions between the players on the field of play. But it's just showing that maybe we do have to think about these things even still now as we continue to go forward. Absolutely. Uh, Felicity Reid, thank you so much. You had a great Christmas. Are you having thank a nice you. break? Yes, I am. It is my last day. So sorry, Giles, oh. about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fabulous. So you have a wonderful time. Merry Christmas to you and thank you for, uh, for this year. Thanks, Anna. Your mighty work. Okay, Felicity Reid there. It is 20 minutes to six. I'm Anna Thomas and you're with First Up, the very last First Up for 2022 on RNZ National. Still to come, former soldier Tenby Powell joins us to discuss the efforts to galvanise support for Ukraine. And we have a very special guest for our final First Up of the year. New Zealand's Poet Laureate Chris Tees joins us live to reflect on 2022 and he ends the programme with a special poem. I can't wait for that. Now we've been putting a series of Christmassy questions and conundrums to the people of Tamaki Makoto this week for our final show of the year. Our producers, Leonard Powell, Amava Shikram and Matthew Tunison pose that age-old head-scratcher, what should you bring along to the summer barbecue? Pavlova. Salad, because I've got lots of lettuces in the garden. Good old kiwi packet of sausages. Probably pasta salad. I'm a dessert person, so if we're talking about food, making sure that it's gonna last oh what's, so your, like what's a, your go-to dessert then oh yeah trifle trifle yeah do you, are you putting the booze in it oh we got kids oh okay there's kids <laughs> so <Yeah>. no <laughs> secret to a perfect trifle oh i don't know i think with jelly in it like jelly in it yeah oh, so nice. do your jelly put that in as well yep i always bring a pavlova because i'm very good at making them oh yeah. what, what's the secret to a perfect pav eggs at room temperature Yep. Yeah, they flip up better. Really? Yeah. You make sure with COVID, you go with food. You have to yeah. buy something to go with it. What? Otherwise, they're going to be sitting there looking, oh, what is he doing? <laughs> you know what he's <laughs> Oh, my potato salad is pretty special, yeah. What's the secret? The asparagus and the bacon in it. Asparagus and bacon? Mm. Yeah. Secret with asparagus, you don't cook it too long. That's right. Use your salad and meat. Could you elaborate on the salad? My wife makes it, but like green salad with everything in it. All the tomatoes, uh, cucumber, oh, heaps of stuff here. You just take your own meat, wouldn't you? Most people have all the salads and that there if they've invited you around. Take the expensive stuff. Depends. Probably lamb chops. Lamb chops would be my number one. Saucies. Always saucies. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that. Um, wine. <laughs> Always wine. <laughs> meat. Yeah, just meat. And someone can cook it for me. Oh, and I have it on very good authority. Katrina Batten makes a fantastic pavlova. I myself have never made one my entire life. There you go. I just love eating them. Now, he has featured on First Up throughout the year, dialing in from Ukraine, where he's been delivering humanitarian aid. Former soldier, businessman, former mayor, and now humanitarian, Tenby Powell, is back home to drum up support for the charity Kiwi Care and also to catch up with his family for Christmas. I asked Tenby what it's like being back in New Zealand. Morena, Anna. It's great being home, of course. It's a bit discombobulating, I guess, is the word. You know, it takes a while to readjust to the calm, quiet life of New Zealand after having been in Ukraine for nearly six months, but getting there. And uh, you would have caught the address by President Zelensky to Parliament. Any surprises from that address and, of course, the reaction from the government? Yes, I did. And no real surprises. I mean, he's clearly 
during this winter period where the war is effectively frozen. He's using this time to reach out to all countries, I imagine, in some way, asking for more military help and greater humanitarian aid help. So no real surprises. I have to say I was, I was a bit disappointed at our reaction, to be honest. I thought $3 million via the International Red Cross was paltry in the scheme. I mean, that's not going to go very far at all. Not an indictment on the Red Cross, but these large aid organisations do absorb a lot of that funding and administrative fees. And it's really important that both medical aid and humanitarian aid get to where it's needed most. And that is those newly liberated areas in the what we call the red zone. What could New Zealand have done? And, and I suppose the whole international community, what more could people be doing? We could have given more. The number is very small, really. The need, Anna, is just so vast. That $3 million will be very much a drop in a, in a large bucket. So we could be doing more. But, you know, the focus, I think, really needs to be on medical aid. And a lot of the people that I'm talking to here in New Zealand have the ability to muster and brigade medical aid together, even if it's past use by date or nearing use by date, we will still have it in Ukraine and we will get it to those who need it, whether it's medical facilities operating on the front lines or into villages where we travel with nurses and doctors where they can be administered in pop-up clinics, as we call them. The thing is, I suppose, those big humanitarian organisations, they are not getting right on the front line, are they? Look, we've got an independent Red Cross entity that seems to be independent from the Ukrainian Red Cross entity itself, and they are wonderful, but you really don't see many of the large aid agencies much east of Kiev, to be honest. I have to say, I was very disappointed to read, and I think a New Zealander wrote this, who had visited from Red Cross, that the biggest threat, as he considered, was a road accident. Well, all that tells me is that he hasn't been east of Kiev. It's very much, very different situation when you go out towards those places where the need is great and where the constant, where the shelling, whether it's missiles, drones or artillery, is constant. It's just never ending. And in fact, I mean, you have seen some pretty horrific scenes in your time over there and you showed me some photos of, of uh, the trenches and the conditions that these soldiers are fighting in, which really surprised me. I don't think the international community realise that that trench fighting is going on. They all think it's sort of drone attacks and, and missiles, but it's it was like the you know First World War and the conditions they were yeah. fighting in there, mud up to the knees. Well, it is exactly the same. That Russian front that we all knew and feared from history is exactly that which is happening today in Ukraine. And of course, the world had thought we would never see an artillery tank battle, the likes of which we are seeing in Ukraine now. Mm. But of course, we do have exactly that today. And the trenches are full of water. The conditions are absolutely horrific. They actually, ironically, will get better once it freezes properly because the mud there is just like glue. It's just extraordinary to try and operate under those conditions. And of course, the world had rejigged itself. The armies had got smaller. Many of the regiments had been merged together. And the production of that type of weapons system, and particularly artillery rounds, had been reduced. Well, as the New York Times has quite rightly reported, one day in Ukraine, in terms of artillery shelling, is one month in Afghanistan. Up to 5,000 rounds fired a day in Ukraine. So it's very, very different. And the production of these rounds, from a US point of view particularly, is very lacking. And so while the focus, of course, that we have is on medical aid and humanitarian aid, 
my personal view is that, and I'm sure this is shared globally by many, is that this war has to end. The world has got to find a way to end this war and in a hurry. And the only pathway to peace for the Ukrainians is victory, and rightly so, as a sovereign state. And the sooner it can end, the sooner we can do the real humanitarian aid that is going to be desperately needed for years, if not decades, to come once this actually finishes. Mm. So so what next for your organisation, your charity, Kiwi Care? Well, Kiwi Care, I'd like to gear us up to a, continue the operational tempo but in probably a, a bigger way. We have been based in Kharkiv to date. I truly believe we need to be down in Mykolaiv now to get access to Kherson. One can only imagine that the Ukrainians will be wanting to continue the very effective counter-offensive that they launched about a month ago now or so, and that they will be heading towards Crimea. Well, it would be great if we can follow up in those areas because the need east of Kherson, we know already is just desperate. And so it would be great if we could gear up operationally. And I'd also like to gear up strategically as well, which is to say that we work with a number of very good Ukrainian NGOs, but I'd like to sort of lift that and and just make sure that we are planning the future together. So we're planning a month or two out, if you will, and then being able to deliver those operations based on future ops planning. And at the moment, it is just a bit too reactionary. And I think if we had the resources to lift KiwiCare into that higher level of operational tempo with some good short-term strategy planning, I think we'd be a lot more effective. Okay, here's your chance. I mean, what, what do you want from, from New Zealanders? New Zealanders have been extraordinarily generous, Anna. We've had nearly 850 people donate via the Give a Little page to KiwiCare, and the generosity just continues. It, it is, it's overwhelming, and I can only just say a big thank you to New Zealanders for the generosity they've shown and the trust they put in us to ensure that we will deliver this humanitarian and medical aid forward to those that need it. What we really need, I mean, I'd love to get my hands on bulk medical supplies. And if it's coming up to use by date or even just past it, I I know there's issues with drugs that have passed their use by date. I'm well aware of that. But we are in desperate need of them. Everything from antibiotics through to surgical gowns, surgical equipment, generators, things like oxygen enriching machines, which we we try and get our hands on as much as possible. And the the reason for that is it doesn't need an oxygen bottle, which is to say that if, if the medical facility or whatever it is comes under artillery fire, you haven't got quite that explosive content within the parameters of the building. Mm. Now, all those things have to be thought through. So that's really, you know, it's anything and everything. Tenby Powell, and I can tell you that his 93-year-old mum, Val, who is a first-up listener, is very happy to have him home safely, as are his children and wife, Sharon. You can hear the full interview on our webpage. And it is our final first up of 2022, so we wanted to bring you, our wonderful listeners, something a little bit special this morning. We're delighted to say the editor writer and New Zealand Poet Laureate Chris Teese has very kindly recorded a poem especially for us. Photogenesis. Out of dusk light and straight into shepherd's blood smeared across the sky, I stand under the future and wonder who will guide me to rest when I'm all but gone. Whether the future is finite or infinite is something I'll never know. At worst, there will be no reasons to pop champagne. No delight in apocalypse when we're made of flammable histories. Fire won't slow down. It knows nothing about consideration or when to call it quits. Its speed is the rate of hope conceding, of disarmament breaking into our homes while we sleep. 
But if we were glowing lights under crushing waves of smoke and ash, if our biology were designed to signal restlessness and desperation by matching heat with heat, tell me who would be the brightest and how many lives would I have to surrender to reach into the sound of my body tearing itself apart, asking for help, to retrieve a dream that doesn't end with darkness being crowned the victor. Some of us kneel at altars, some of us offer the dead everything they'll need when they leave us. I remember scraps of my past. What if that is all I'll have to take with me? I wander the present as a thief of what's gone before, stealing promises from one lover to gift to the next and expecting the same response. That's the corner I've backed myself into. To have no recollection of how I got there and what to do next while my eyes are alight and my skin gives away my secrets. Even with the presence of light, we're no wiser than we were before we trusted the sky not to combust or the earth to stay in one place. I still think light is proof that something is happening right before us. Even when my vision stutters and I have no reason to believe in hope, even when the deceits and machinations of the present day seem unavoidable, it's enough to look up at a sky blushing red and see possibility to not worry how the end will reveal itself. New Zealand Poet Laureate Chris Teese there. And that is it uh, for First Up for the Year. Morning Report is next with Cam and Corin. But from the First Up team, thank you for your company in the early hours of 2022. Thank you for all of your feedback. We wish you all a wonderful Christmas, New Year and summer break. I'll be back with you for summer times in January. And Nathan and the First Up team will be with you on Monday the 23rd of January. A big thanks to all of our contributors, but also... The special, a very, very special thanks to the First Up team, Leonard Powell, Mavish Agram and Matthew Tunison. A big thanks to Jeremy Parkinson and Katrina Batten who get up at three o'clock every morning. The people who do the hard yards, thank you all. Merry Kirehimiti. Santa, must be Santa, must be Santa, must be Santa, Santa.